Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. We're in a series called Ministers of Tourism. So today is going to be the second part in that series, and the message is going to be entitled Kingdom Building. You want me to do what? You got to say it like that. What? Want me to do what? So, Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, God, that, Lord, we are, you've opened our eyes to be able to see what others can't see. You've opened our ears to be able to hear what everyone can't hear, Father. And we thank you, Father, for our position as citizens in your kingdom. So, Father, today I pray that you would speak to us about how you want to move, grow, and advance your kingdom in and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. So last week in the message, and uh, Tim kind of talked about tour guides, and he kind of talked about uh, beachfront Christianity and how, you know, when you go on a vacation, there's like that main um, place that they want you to go, but then you have to get a tour guide if you want to venture off from the, norm, the usual route. And, you know, they can uh, get you accustomed with some of uh, the local cuisine or uh, the local flavor if you want to dig a little bit deeper in the culture. So it kind of made me think about of a trip that I took last summer to Washington, D.C. So I went to D.C. I was in D.C. Uh, for about 10 days. Um, believe it or not, I always really wanted to go to D.C. because like I am a I'm a history nerd. Right. So I love the government. I love history. Uh, my bachelor's is in political science. Um, I taught history and government for years. So I'm one of those people that like I will binge watch anything that has to do with the government at all. All right. It could be a show from the 70s, 80s, 90s. It does not matter. Like if it has something to do with the government, like I will watch it. All right. I just finished the designated survivor. OK, just in case anybody needs, you know, something to look at next. So, you know, that's just kind of my personality. Right. But what actually took me to D.C. was uh, one of my former players um, and a young lady I've been blessed to be a mentor to since she was in the seventh grade, uh, actually got drafted in the WNBA by the Washington Mystics. So she was a rookie there this season, so um, was able to go out, catch a couple of her game, uh, hence the trip. So on the day that I actually arrived, I actually arrived uh, on a game day, but I had a few hours to spare. So in D.C., I was around a Union Station, and I was just overwhelmed with tourist options. Right. If you've ever been there, you understand what I'm saying. I mean, if you look to the right, it's like, you know, big bus tours. You know, you look to the left, it's like little bus tours. You know, it's just like, you know, city tours, rural tours. I mean, it's like big, loud tours, quiet, soft tours. You know, like everything is just like, you know, we're the best tours. Well, we're better. You know, so it's like, well, how, how can I pick? So I began just kind of like walking through, looking at some brochures, kind of just kind of being around some of the tour guides because I really kind of had to make a decision. Well, well, one, where did I want to go see? But then two, who can I handle listening to for the next couple hours, right? So some of the tour guides that I kind of came encounter with, um, some of them didn't have the best attitude that day. So I was thinking, you know, 
probably don't want to be like, you're a little bit irritated. So I, I think I'm good, you know, on your tour. And then there was another uh, tour guide and, you know, she was really super helpful. And, hey, where would you like to go? And what do you want to do? And, and I said, well, well, how far is the Capital One Center? And she kind of frowned up and, and I said, well, yeah. I said, there's a WNBA game today. Don't you know that the Mystics play? And she acted like she didn't know anything about sports. So I'm clearly, you're not going to be my tour guide because we don't have the same interest. So I'm like, I, I got about two hours of time. I need to find something that fits in with the time that I have. But I also understand that a good or a bad tour guide can make or break a trip. So I wanted to spend my time with somebody that I could connect with and have enough like passions and interests to where I would enjoy the tour and actually somebody that would be able to push me outside of the comfort zone to tell me something I don't know. So I make, uh, so I, my plea is, hey, so in a, in a best case scenario, I came all the way to DC, I really wanna see the documents. Do I have time to see the constitution before the game? So then there's somebody, oh yes, you can come, you can do plan B, and then right here, you can get off at this, and you get, so I'm like, okay, she knows what she's doing. And she's like, oh, well, you know, tip off is not till seven, but they actually open the doors to the will call at six o'clock. So I'm like, okay, you know what you're talking about. Like, I'm going on your tour, right? So I go and I go on the tour, and it just kind of reminded me last week how a good tour guide can make you want to get vested and interested in the place that you're visiting. So what, what does that have to do with kingdom building? So when I think about Jesus and I think about how Jesus is building the uh, kingdom and I'm thinking about him, um, how he's collecting tour guides for the kingdom of heaven, I realized that just because there was a tour guide that was maybe into something that I wasn't into or maybe got on my nerves, didn't mean that there was not somebody else that would have readily received from that person. But what I realized, there were so many options, but the truth is no matter what tour I would have went on, I still was gonna see DC. Some, some may have been able to take me a little deeper than others, but they were all going to show me the culture of D.C. So um, looking at the Gospel of Matthew, um, so Matthew is unique in that it's actually written to a Jewish audience. So Matthew writes to a Jewish audience and he is very intentional about putting out evidence and messianic claims before the hearers. Because Matthew, he talks more about the kingdom uh, than any other gospel writer. But the thing that Matthew understood was that if I don't first legitimate, uh, legitimize Jesus's claim as king, they'll never be able to see the kingdom. So he starts and he starts trying to prove uh, lineage as being the son of David. He starts uh, trying to show um, where he's from and he, he, he's building up this case and this claim that this is the one that we've waited for. This is Messiah. This is the king. So, so now, because how many of you know somebody can be saying something, but the source makes all the difference. 
So, so Matthew is very intentional in getting people to see Jesus first and foremost as a Messiah. And, and he has this account of how Jesus, he doesn't really skip a step. He talks about the birth. He talks about how Herod tried to take him out even uh, before he was born. He follows Jesus through his childhood. Uh, he follows Jesus as he is getting baptized, as he's led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And then into his public ministry where Jesus begins to go and intentionally pick different disciples to be his followers. So Jesus now, he said, I am a king and I'm coming to bring my kingdom. But like Tim said last week, he did not come to colonize land, but he came to colonize hearts. So he had to start with some people. Now, the thing that's interesting to me about the disciples that Jesus chose is that they reminded me a lot about the different choices of tour guides that I had. Jesus strategically and intentionally goes and targets different people to follow him that have extreme differences in personality, extreme differences in occupation, extreme differences in class and geography, where they're from, because he understood that he needed collectively a diverse group because he wasn't coming for only one kind of person, but he was coming from everybody. So when you look at some of uh, the dispositions of the disciples, you, you look at Bartholomew, who is brutally honest and, and straightforward and to Jesus's face says, well, you can't be the Messiah. You're from Nazareth. Jesus is like, oh, I need you. I need you. You're on. I need you. You look at James and John who are very judgmental and want Jesus to burn down the Samaritan city because of their sin. And he's like, oh, man, I need somebody judgmental on my team, too. Somebody's going to receive. When he comes across Thomas, who has a mixture of courage and doubt, Jesus says, oh, you're going to be perfect, man because there's gonna be people that are still gonna have questions about me. When he encounters Matthew and he asks Matthew to come and follow, he said, I have to get you because you're the only dude I know that can throw a party at your house. And the Bible says notorious sinners show up. <laughs> like Frank Lucas will be there if he asked him, you know what I mean? So, so, so Jesus is going, he's like, oh yes, uh, Andrew, I need you. You're going to be stable, but hey, can you introduce me to your brother, Peter? That dude is really impetuous. He's bold. He's impulsive. So there are all these different little personality quirks and these different traits that Jesus targets when he's assembling this team of disciples because he doesn't just want all of one kind of person because the idea is that this kingdom's going to spread everywhere. So he assembles this dream team, if you will, and, and he spends time with them. And you can go through uh, the whole gospel of Matthew and you can just kind of see the training ground that they kind of matriculate through. They learn about money. They learn about possessions. They learn about lust. They learn about how to deal uh, with adultery. They learn about unforgiveness. So, so Jesus takes them through and, and they're constantly kind of learning and he's ingraining kingdom philosophy into these guys. He's spending quality time with them. And then we come up on chapter 10 and we see that there's about to be a reversal of the roles. And I'm going to read it in your hearing. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. 
It said, and Jesus called his 12 disciples together and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas Iscariot, and I have to tell you about Simon, picking Simon to be on your team, like Simon was a well-known political extremist. So pick what you want to do, left wing, right wing, don't matter. Simon's like trying to overthrow the government. So Jesus is like, I need you on my team, right? Because I'm about to overthrow something. You understand you have the courage to do it. You just don't understand what you need to overthrow yet. So Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the uh, Gentiles or to the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Don't take any money in your money belts. Don't take any gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Whenever you enter a city or a village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing, and if it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take the blessing back. If any household or town refuses to come or welcome you or to hear your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. For I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than such a town on the judgment day. So all through Matthew, we see these disciples, they're with Jesus, they're learning from Jesus, they're spending time with Jesus, then all of a sudden they get to a certain point where Jesus says, all right now, y'all got to go do something. I did not call y'all to come and hang around me all the time and just listen to all my sermons so you could just become smart and increase your knowledge and increase your wisdom and just hear what the latest sermon I have. I, I did not come to just try to get numbers and have large meetings. And I, I didn't come just because I wanted to just have a crowd of people and I need an entourage and I need people following me. And I just want to have a group wherever I go. No, see, I, I actually got you to teach you something so you can go do something. See, sometimes we forget to complete the process of discipleship. In Embassy City Church, we're a note-taking church, amen? amen? But y'all, if those notes don't make it off your paper. See, the idea of discipleship was, I'm not trying to just feed you every day for you to just sit here and keep eating and eating and not learn more and grow. And you just, you just, you, now you're just so theologically sound in your doctrine. But you're not doing nothing. So Jesus in verse seven, he says, okay, we, 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 we've been in school long enough. It's time for some lab work. Y'all, 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 y'all got to go do something. 
In verse seven, he gives them this charge and he tells them, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. If you're a King James person, you're you're, uh, familiar with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let me say this. If Jesus is sending his disciples out to tell somebody that the kingdom of heaven is near, that means that there had to be a transfusion of the kingdom from him to them. Otherwise, it would have been a lie for them to go somewhere and say it. He understood there's no way he could have went to every single house, every single town, every single village by himself. He said, at what point did you think this was just so we could just hang out all the time and you could always just listen to me and you just learn, learn and you consume, 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 but you never produce anything. He's trying to set a precedent. He's trying to set a culture. He's trying to set an expectations for citizens in the kingdom. And he's saying in this kingdom, we're not just consumers. We produce in this kingdom. And we reproduce fruit after our own kind. So now he said, I've taught you about forgiveness. How about you go forgive somebody? I've taught you about anger. How about about you go and and that's somebody that you know with anger. How how about you go and you share this? I've told you the good news. Can you say it to somebody? You've taken notes for years on sermons that you say to yourself, man, that word is for her. Man, that word is for him. Are you going to tell them? Because, see, there's some misconception that we're supposed to come here and rest and consume Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And then go Monday through Saturday and be empty handed. Well, what, what, what did you produce this week? See, the idea about discipleship is that you're constantly growing. You're constantly going from a state of what you're taught. You're teaching somebody else. See, so Jesus sends them out two by two and he sends them to different places and and he sends them with a charge to say, he said, I want you to go and I want you. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cure those with leprosy. Cast the demons out. Give as freely as you have received. The reason he gives them authority to accomplish those things is because, hey, this is what's going to back up and substantiate your claim when you step and tell somebody the kingdom of heaven is near. Because the kingdom is not a kingdom without evidence. They will believe in the message in which I have sent for you to preach because these signs shall follow those that believe. See, what the enemy will do is try to have us in a consuming mindset to where we are constantly learning, 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 obtaining and growing information and then never do anything with it and always say, well, if I knew a little bit more, I'd feel comfortable to pray for somebody. Well, see, I don't know if I quite know um, enough about that. To, to do, do you know that Jesus came? Do, do, do you know he died? Do, do we know he, he, resurre- he was resurrected? Do, do we know he's coming back? Like, if we know that, that's good news. What else do we need to know? Whatever you know, wherever you are, share that. There's a book by the late, great Dr. Miles Monroe, and the book is called The Purpose and Power of Prayer. Um, It's a great book, 
And one, the quote that stood out in that book to me was, he said, in this time, uh, in this age of the church, he said, prayer, he said, one, he said, the prayer meetings are the most, the least attended meetings in the churches. Another thing that he said is he said, the great temptation is that people will read books on prayer. People will listen to messages on prayer. People will hear, go to conferences about prayer. People will do everything to learn more about prayer. He said, but to get the church to pray is the hardest thing to do. He said, because it's easy to get people to consume, but to get them out of their comfort zone to realize now you got to pray for somebody. Now you got to do something. See, the idea is this. We are not complete as disciples if we're not doing these things. The idea is this, the enemy's gonna always have you feel like you don't know enough. So if that seed is in your head, even if I teach you something else today, he's still gonna tell you later, well, I just need one more sermon. I just need one more conference. I just need one more, because he's always gonna try to make you feel, well, I gotta become a better person first. I, 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 gotta, I gotta change this. There's some things about my personality. There, there's some things about my background. There's some things about my occupation. He will tell you everything he can to disqualify you when you are the perfect tour guide for somebody God has put in your life that needs to see the kingdom of God. Your background, your occupation, your personality, where you work, See, because to be an ambassador, to be a tour guide into certain areas, you have to be fluent with the vernacular and the lingo. I am not a tourist to the IT community. <laughs> if y'all are going to depend on me to bring in software engineers and programmers to the kingdom, they not coming. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't communicate with them. Like, like, like you have to bring people to me that, oh, okay, you, you're a lawyer, you've been around government, you've been around politics. Okay, you, you, you play basketball. Uh, I can bring them in. Because how many of you know the parables that Jesus preached? If he walked the earth in 2019, do you believe those parables would be the exact thing? Same. But they were more agrarian in nature because that's what the common man of the day could relate to. How many of you know everywhere you work, every in your family, there are parables that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, to your heart, to your life, for that coworker, for that family member, for that neighbor. There is something that you have intricate knowledge and expertise of that the Lord says, I need to use that. You don't know why I had you take a semester of art appreciation in college. Hey, but there's somebody that is going to want to know the difference between impressionism and something. I don't remember. But hey, but somebody like somebody wants to know that. Okay. So the idea of it is there is nothing that has happened to you by accident. Everything that you have done, everywhere you have been, everything about your background is something that qualifies you to be the perfect tour guide to lead somebody into the kingdom. 
And see, this is the thing. The only way Jesus could tell them to go and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand is if the kingdom was in them. So I'm telling you today, disciples, the kingdom of heaven is in you. When you walk into your job, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you go to your family reunion, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you drive through Starbucks, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you're at line in the grocery store, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When you are sitting at a restaurant waiting to be served, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everywhere you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand because he is in you, he's with you, and that's how the kingdom is going to spread in advance. But we have to recognize that we're stakeholders in this kingdom. Don't you get, beloved, that the kingdom doesn't advance if you don't? If you sit here week after week and eat and eat and eat and consume and consume and consume and you never go and grow the kingdom, y'all, it's not going to grow. It's not some magic hocus pocus. We can't just sit here and it's not just praying about it. Faith without works is dead. So what Jesus told the disciples was basically this. You either trust your teacher or you don't. You either have faith in what I've been teaching you or you don't. But it is time to put into practice that which you have been taught. You have been with me. You have seen me. You've seen how I've operated. You've seen the miracles. There's nothing else that I can show you. It's time for you to do something. There's a parable in the 13th chapter of Matthew, the 33rd verse. And it said, the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast the woman used in making bread. Even though she only put a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Anybody who's ever made homemade bread and you've cooked with yeast, okay, this you may not know. Yeast is actually a single cell fungi. Yeast is actually alive. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that the woman puts in the dough, See, when you put that little bit of yeast into that dough, not only does it double in size, it's transformed now into one, into one consistency. There's no longer separation. There's no longer different parts because now there's a blending of the kingdom. Now it's whatever you bring to the table, whatever I bring to the table, we're gonna have this kingdom and this agitation, this mixture of this yeast now is going to create an entirely new substance. But the thing about yeast that's interesting is that yeast cannot not react to heat. Yeast cannot not react to heat. If you put yeast over a fire, there will be a reaction. If you put yeast in an oven, there's a reaction. If you put yeast in a microwave, there will be a reaction. Well, the thing about it is, if no heat is ever applied, that yeast can sit there and can get dormant and not do what it was intended to do because it's not pushed 
through a process that causes it to grow and spread. So when you think about the persecution of the church, when you think about the history of the church and when you think about what you go through as an individual, when you think about what the church and the body of Christ goes through collectively, the trials, the persecution, all that is, is raising the temperature so that yeast, so that little seed of the kingdom, so that little bit that has been put in us will cause us to spread, cause us to double, cause us to multiply. So now, wherever we go, all Jesus did was intend intentionally have conversations with different types of people to just put a little dab of yeast here. I'm going to talk to this woman at the well and put a little dab right here. I'm going to talk to this Roman officer, little dab right here. I'm going to talk to these little children, dab right here, rich young ruler, got you, blind beggar, got you, because he understood they were all going to go home to different places. See, there were times where he intentionally had conversations with a woman. When the culture of the day would say, he said, but then there's some things. He said, I need this story told real right. <laughs> there's a village that, that I need everybody to hear this. One of the disciples, I believe, I believe it's... Um, I believe it was uh, Didymus, the twin, okay? And Didymus and uh, Thomas, Didymus and, and Thaddeus, they were what you call, they were um, religious gossips. So how many of you know, if you really want a story to spread, you gotta get people that aren't afraid to talk. So Jesus goes and he plants this yeast and the kingdom is like yeast because now the more little dabs of yeast that are put every time the kingdom of heaven is at hand, you leave these little seeds of yeast wherever you go. Even when you're not there anymore, it will still double, it will still grow, it will still maximize in size. And the last thing about yeast is that yeast is actually what gives the bread its flavor. There is nobody, I don't care who you are, be gluten-free all you want to. If you come into a restaurant and there is freshly baked bread, that smell, that aroma, it, 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 it gets you, it, you are enticed, it grabs your attention. Yeast is that flavor, yeast is that aroma, yeast is something that makes and creates that changes the atmosphere into something that is desirable and attractive. See, when you go into your job, you are meant to be yeast. You were meant to be yeast. Jesus had conversations. He said, well, let me talk to this man right here because I know that's going to spread three or four generations. Let, 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 let me have a conversation with this guy right here because he's going to go back to the synagogue and he's going to have some conversations with people that my disciples won't reach, but, but, but let, me, let, me, let me send him along with some yeast. So th this, is, this, is, this is what we're saying, church. It's time to do something. We all have work to do. You don't get the right to sit up here week after week and religiously consume and not relationally produce. Nobody comes week after week just to increase your knowledge. 
But how much are you applying of what you know? Otherwise, what are we doing? As a coach, when I get up at 6 a.m. with my players to get extra shots up and get extra training and we practice every single day, we do that because there's a game coming up. Because it's insanity to sacrifice to work on something if we never intend to use it. What doctor goes to med school for all those years and never plans on operating? So we have to think about the kingdom. Yeah, we have a spiritual responsibility. When he sent them out, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told them to address the physical and the spiritual needs. Who in your life, who in your sphere is waiting on you to address the spiritual and physical needs that they have? Who in your life that when they say something, there ought to be some yeast, something ought to rise up in you. Maybe somebody's at work and has a headache. Pray for them. Well, I don't know. And I I don't. Is it going to get worse if you pray? It's time to be the church. As the prayer team comes. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.